December 1998, three weeks before Christmas. Robert Ingebrigtsen, his dad Bob, and his eight-year-old son Derek headed out to the Winnemar National Forest to look for the perfect Christmas tree. But this family tradition soon turned to tragedy when Derek disappeared without a trace. Despite a confession from a child sex offender, anonymous graffiti found at a rest stop bathroom, Derek's fate on that chilly December afternoon remains a mystery to this day. This is Derek's story. Derek James Ingebretson was born July 5th, 1990, to parents Laurie and Robert Ingebretson in Bonanza, Oregon. Derek was very much like the other boy we discussed this week, Michael Vaughan. Maybe they could have been friends in another world at another time. But Derek was an active, fun, busy boy. He was his happiest when out in nature. So much so, the only time you would find Derek inside was once it got dark, and that was only because Derek was scared of the dark. He was only scared of two things, the dark and cougars. But Derek loved animals. He would spend his nights watching animal documentaries. And even though he was scared of the dark, he had recently discovered the Goosebumps book series, and he was devouring them. In December 1998, when our story takes place, Derek was in the third grade at Bonanza Elementary. The family would live close to national forests, and that is where you would find the Ingebretsons on the weekends and on vacation. Derek had been hunting and hiking from birth. He got his nickname Bear Boy due to his mother putting him in a pack at only a week old and carrying him along on a bear hunt. Quote, Ever since he was a baby, he's been out in the woods, hunting and stuff. Unquote. Laurie and Robert came from a family of hunters too. Laurie's father was a seasoned tracker and Robert's childhood was spent camping and they wanted the same experience for their children. Besides the outdoors, animals and goosebumps, Derek also loved sports, especially baseball, basketball, soccer and football. Derek had recently started to learn to play golf too. Now, it was usually the tradition for the Ingebretsons to go together to pick out the perfect Christmas tree and then decorate it together. However, this year in particular had been a busy, stressful year, and Laurie was not for cleaning up the nettles of a real Christmas tree, and had talked her husband Robert into picking up an artificial tree. The Ingebretsons had a disabled neighbour who told Laurie and Robert how much he always loved their Christmas tree, and if they could get him one this year too. Guilt set in immediately. How could they tell this neighbour no, who was full of compliments? And the real Christmas tree was always special. Laurie relented, and Robert purchased a permit for three trees. One for Robert to take home for the family, one for their neighbour, and one for Robert's father, Bob, who was going to tag along to help keep an eye on Derek while Robert found the perfect Christmas trees. December 5th, 1998, three generations of the Ingebretson family arrived at the Winnemar National Forest near Pelican Butte, Oregon, driving up in Bob's red pickup truck. Robert helped his son into his blue snowmobile suit, hat and felt-lined boots. Derek excitedly swinging his beloved hatchet, making divots in every tree as he passed, something he always did. Robert took off ahead. It was winter and it would only be a couple of hours before it was dark. Time was definitely of the essence. Bob walked slower behind, keeping a close eye on the busy eight-year-old who was racing from tree to tree. 
It wouldn't be long into the hike that Derek would badger his grandfather to allow him to catch up with his dad. Eventually, Bob gave in and told Derek to go ahead on one condition, that he followed his father's footsteps without fail. Derek, already running off, shouted back that he would, and Bob was satisfied that Derek listened, based on the small footprints in the snow that matched the larger set. It seemed to Bob that Derek did catch up with his father rather quickly. 3pm. Robert and Bob met back at the pickup truck on the road, both immediately realising they couldn't see Derek with the other person. By this point, the snow started to fall heavily. There was a snowstorm rolling in, causing that much more urgency to the situation. Add on to that, darkness was starting to set in. In a panic, Robert raced up and down the embankment, shouting his son's name, but nothing. Bob and Robert would continue this routine for the next hour. At this point, Robert flagged down a passing motorist, begging the driver to call 911. The driver drove to a nearby resort and did just that. It is now 4.13pm. However, this afternoon was also the Claymath Search and Rescue's end-of-year awards dinner at Molly's Restaurant, and they didn't particularly want to end their festivities prematurely, believing the boy would be already found by the time they got there. Because of this, a massive blight in the actions of authorities. The search for Derek wouldn't begin until five hours later. By this stage, it was pitch black dark and the snowstorm dropped three inches of snow covering most evidence of where Derek could have gone. Hundreds of volunteers took part in the search, walking in a straight line, poking through foliage and snow, looking for any sign of Derek. The community really came together to help the Ingebretsons. A family donating their camper so Lois could remain at the site 24-7. A bonfire, constantly burning outside the camper to help Derek find his way back the Claymath Motorsports Shop donating a number of snowmobiles. Employees at the Jackson County Financial in Medford raising a $1,000 reward for anyone who could bring Derek home safely. Police helicopters searched the wood overhead using thermal imaging. Sniffer dogs searched on foot. However, the heavy snowfall confused them. Said Captain Roger Pitts, quote, This is hard. These ups and downs, it's just frustrating. Unquote. Authorities did find a crude shelter under several fallen logs on the side of a mountain, in an area not far from where Derek was last seen. Derek was experienced in the wilderness and had some survival knowledge. Was it possible Derek made this shelter to stay warm from the blizzard, knowing his dad and grandfather would find him soon? This seems unlikely, as the sniffer dogs were not able to pick up on Derek's scent near the shelter. About a month later, in the same area, a candy wrapper, some blood and a bookmark from Bonanza Elementary were found, many believing them to have belonged to Derek. Is it possible the shelter was made by Derek after all, and the sniffer dogs were simply mistaken due to the blizzard? I don't know, but it is possible. Derek's grandfather and his father did find a snow angel not far from the pickup truck, and small divots in the trees around it. Almost a small loop leading from the area he was last seen to the truck. Lucky had maybe gotten lost looking for his dad and then headed back to wait for Robert and Bob to return. But the divots abruptly stopped and there was no indication what happened to Derek after this or where he went. 
The tireless search continued for eight days in dangerous conditions before being suspended out of safety for the volunteers. This crushed the Ingebretsons, but they understood. They didn't want to risk the lives of anyone. Despite everyone's best efforts, it was almost as if Derek had not been on the mountain at all that day. There are two definite camps when it comes to what happened to Derek. The police believed Derek wandered too far into the woods and became disorientated, that due to the storm and the below freezing conditions, he passed away. And then his remains became a victim to animal scavenging, which explains why nothing has ever been found. However, in my opinion, there should have been something found, some torn clothing at the very least. Because of the snow angel and the lack of evidence, Derek had succumbed to the woods and snow. Derek's family believed their son had been abducted while waiting near the road. The Ingebretsons using $20,000 from their savings to find their missing son. But also the lack of evidence did lead to some small town gossip that maybe Robert and Bob were responsible for whatever happened to Derek. Maybe they had murdered him or became negligent in some other way. However, both men sat for several polygraphs and were quickly cleared of suspicion, in the eyes of the police anyway. But the argument for abduction seemed to be supported with an anonymous tip. Police appealed to the public for information about a late model black two-door Honda in the area on the day Derek disappeared. The car was driven by a man who stopped and asked for directions near Pelican Butte. And allegedly, this man may have also been seen struggling with a boy. The tipster told police he didn't stop because he assumed they were father and son until he heard about Derek's disappearance on the news. And while this tip never panned out, this tip will become important in the years to come. September 24, 1999. Graffiti was found on a bathroom wall of a rest stop near Burns, Oregon, around 150 miles east of where Derek was last seen. And while it didn't name Derek in particular... The graffiti did reference Derek's disappearance and what happened to him in horrific and brutal detail. And while it has never been disclosed what this graffiti said, it apparently supported the theory that Derek was abducted and murdered. And given Laurie's comments regarding the graffiti, the death would have been violent. Quote, At first you think, oh my god, he might be alive and someone is actually going to give him back. All I can say is I hope if Derek did die... I hope he did die on that mountain and not at the hands of some sick person. If he died on the mountain, he just closed his eyes and went to sleep. There would have been no pain or anything. Unquote. A section of the graffiti was sent for forensic analysis, but the FBI have publicly stated they believe the graffiti to be some sick hoax. 2004. Police announced they had done a complete 180 and now believed Derek to be abducted. Not only that, but they had a suspect. Convicted child sex offender, Frank James Milligan. Milligan was out on bail at the time Derek went missing for the 1997 sexual assault of an 11-year-old boy. Milligan also owned a late model black Honda, the same car that the anonymous tipster reported seeing with the man struggling with the boy. Milligan was back behind bars now, though, for the brutal attempted murder and rape of a 10-year-old boy in Dallas, Oregon in 2000. 31-year-old Milligan approached a young boy in a park, offering him $100 to mow his lawn. 
The boy obviously agreed, and when they reached Milligan's car, he asked the boy, quote, Do you want to live or die? Unquote. Milligan bound the boy's hands with duct tape and drove him just north of Salem, forcing him to walk down a dirt road where the boy was sexually assaulted and choked. Milligan pushing the boy's face into the dirt so hard the boy blacked out. Milligan then slashed the boy's throat and left him for dead. Thankfully, the boy survived. He walked to the road and called for help. This boy's strength and testimony was the reason Milligan would be behind bars for a 30-year sentence. Later, disturbingly, Milligan worked as a counsellor employed by the state of Oregon working with troubled juveniles, giving him access to children on a daily basis. In September 2014, he was sentenced to 35 years in prison to run concurrently with his other sentence for sexually abusing an adolescent inmate he was supposed to help as part of his job in the 1990s. This victim would go on to sue the state of Oregon for $5.5 million in compensation due to the abuse. But the reason Milligan came to the attention of authorities regarding Derek's disappearance, a fellow inmate of Milligan's told police he heard Milligan bragging about abducting and killing Derek. And when the investigators went to talk to Milligan, he happily told them the same. He even agreed to show police where he buried Derek's body. But despite an extensive search, Derek's body would never be found. Only fragments of animal bone. And even though Derek's remains weren't found, Milligan still agreed with the Marion County Assistant District Attorney to plead guilty for the abduction and murder of Derek Ingebretson if they agreed to spare him the death penalty. But when faced with the paperwork a few days later, Milligan refused to sign and recanted his statement. Frank James Milligan is still considered a suspect in Derek's disappearance. Laurie and Robert are now grandparents. Laurie told KATU in 2018, quote, I want to believe he is alive to this day, and until someone shows me different, I don't think I'm ever going to give up on him, unquote. For years, the Ingebretsons spent their own time and money searching for their son, They spent thousands on boats and psychics, eventually declaring bankruptcy and losing their family home. Derek's disappearance destroyed their family. Laurie became suicidal and was placed on antidepressants. Robert suffered from pneumonia and frostbite to the leg from trudging through the snow day after day. Robert refused to speak to his father, because while he blamed himself for not finding Derek, he blamed Bob for losing him in the first place. And Bob was too racked with guilt to even talk about it. Bob passed away in 2012, many believe from a broken heart, never finding out what happened to his grandson. Laurie and Robert never gave up. For years they returned to the woods to continue their search. Robert would drive straight from his graveyard shift at work back to the mountain, his wife already waiting. They kept a map marking areas where they searched. Every year on his birthday, they tied balloons to a tree near where Derek was last seen. In 2018, Laurie told KATU, quote, I haven't given up on him being alive. I pray every single night for him to be alive in someone's safe hands, unquote. At the time of his disappearance, Derek Ingebretson was eight years old. He was four foot six and 85 pounds with brown hair and hazel eyes. He is lovingly known by his family by his nickname, Bear. 
According to the Charlie Project, Derek had bite mark scars on his chin, between his nostrils and under his nose. He was last seen wearing a blue snowmobile suit, a hat, felt-lined camouflage boots and gloves with the Goosebumps logo on them. If Derek is still alive today, he would be almost 33 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Derek Ingebretson, please contact the Claymouth County Sheriff's Office on 541-883-5130. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice, and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Mayu.